Hello and welcome to another episode of Jackson Talk. Everybody, with me, your host, Jackson Stone, and this is episode number 95 of Jackson Talks. Everybody, wow, we're inching closer to episode 100, which I keep saying on every episode that's going to be special, but I have no idea why or how it's going to be special. It might just be me talking about the last 99 episodes of Jackson Talks, everybody, and how much this podcast means to me, which seems very special. So that might be exactly what I do. But today I'm joined. Uh, by an extremely interesting, insightful, and wise guest who I found via Twitter. I've been following him via Twitter for a long time. I'm, I'm also subscribed to his newsletter, which is also incredibly good. And I'm joined today by Dr. Corey Wilkes. He is a licensed clinical psychologist, um, but he's recently moved into the coaching space where kind of his mission is to help founders, creators, and entrepreneurs build an intentional life using evidence-based psychology, which he is a doctor in. And so <clears throat> I think from following you and, and hearing your newsletter and looking at your course, you're really about building uh, an intentional life. And I think that's what we're going to get into today, as well as some mental models, the intersection of sports and mental health, what the difference between coaching and therapy is, and a lot of really great topics that my audience is super interested in, I'm super interested in, and Corey is an expert in. After all that, Corey, uh, welcome to the show, my man. Thanks, man. I'm excited to be here. Well, uh, before we, we press record, we, we were both talking about some AC issues that we were having in our house. So hopefully we don't sweat too much throughout this podcast, but you might see some, some, some dribbles on my forehead throughout, but depending on how good my Zoom camera is. Um, but anyways, I, um, I start this podcast uh, in a very kind of specific manner. It's kind of the theme of the podcast. And I did ask you this question before we hit record, but I'm hoping for a little more expanded answer. So Corey, um, with everything you got going on with your transition into the entrepreneur lifestyle and just how the, the climate of the world is, how are you doing? Like, really, how are you doing? So for me, man, especially recently, I've kind of been on this sort of precipice of simultaneously terrified and exhilarated right and that teaches me that reminds me that i am growing right because you know your comfort zone is called your comfort zone for a reason right like you're not you're rarely challenged in your comfort zone so most of, a lot of people get in this trap of well i'm only going to do things that are easier i'm only going to do things that i'm inherently good at and that's fine that's definitely one track that you can go in life that isn't really the track that is fulfilling for me. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get into this more, but you know, I don't have a business background. I grew up poor as fuck, like food stamps, public housing. Um, you know, a lot of family members on like social security disability type shit. So even though like, you know, I went through school and got a doctorate and everything, I have sort of Frankensteined together my entrepreneurial journey since I left like a nine to five job yeah. and, you know, things are finally kind of coming to a head as far as like with the course. And I got a couple other, you know, irons in the fire and things to where now it's like, I am pushing every day, the edges of my competency, my competency. So I've just kind of embraced this feeling of, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> wow. I, all of the time feel exactly the same. So uh, I think I think that's where um, I think that's where excellence lies, right? Like, 
this like challenge skills balance, which I'm sure you know all about, right? It's like, I'm on the, I'm, I'm stretching myself, but I'm not snapping myself. And I think that's where I am, you know, a little bit about me for those that are listening to this podcast, because they're, they're on your audience. I uh, own and operate a mental health nonprofit called You Are Loved. I, um, I have a sports background, I played division one baseball, also became a professional wrestler. And now I'm a coach kind of in the same space as you and uh, I have a podcast. And so all of these things, living this entrepreneurial life is brand new, is brand new. And I think it's super important to convey to our audience that we also are still trying to figure it out all of the time. And everything that I tweet, and I think everything that you tweet or talk about is also a reminder to yourself. And I think that's very important. Yeah. And, and on that topic, one of the guys I've coached before, he came to me and he was like, look, man, I've built 10 other companies and I'm trying to figure out what company, what 11th company is worth my time to build. Right. So this dude had a great track record mm -hmm. um, overall, had had a big eggs and all this other stuff. And one of the things that he, he now is much more open about is he constantly like feels like an imposter, mm -hmm. right? And his 11th company he's building is essentially a, um, like a nutrition optimization company to help humans become a spacefaring society, pretty much of like, how can we dial in your nutrition on earth so that, you know, if, if we go to Mars or we do all this, whatever other shit that's dialed in. So we have way more flexibility to kind of do more things and, and go more places. So this dude's doing big shit, but then every day he's like, I just feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm. So like, if somebody like that still struggles, right. And I've heard, you know, about like really famous writers like Neil Gaiman or, um, you know, like astronauts, like Buzz Aldrin, like all these people, they kind of feel the same way of like, man, everybody else in this room is on top of their shit or everybody else I see on Twitter is on top of their shit, but I'm not. And it's mm. like, the truth is like, nobody has it figured out at all. <laughs> right. And there's so much, there's so much common humanity in that. And there's so much beauty in that. But on that subject, you are coaching these elite people, elite business people. What are you, what kind of tools are you giving them or what are you saying to them to help them navigate that imposter syndrome? Even yeah. helping yourself as well. Yeah. So one, I mean, it one, it depends on kind of what they're coming to me for, but on the in their specific circumstances, but overall with imposter syndrome. So when I was early in grad school, um, because again, originally I started, you know, I did therapy. Um <clears throat> in December, we went and did like a homeless outreach event. So the schools of psychology, pharmacy, medicine, a bunch of other schools, we all got together and we went to like a parking lot of like, you know, a local church or whatever. And we did this outreach event. So people who were experiencing homelessness, they could come, they could get food, clothes, they could get a medical checkup, prescription if they needed it. And then there was me. And I'm like, these motherfuckers are fighting for their life, like literally like struggling to survive because it is mid-December in rural Appalachia. So like sub-freezing temperatures. I was like, they don't need deep breathing exercises. Like they don't, they don't like anxiety and depression. Like that's some other level shit. Like you all are, are, are fighting to survive every day. Mm -hmm. So I went, I was like, I, I serve no function here. Like there's, there's nothing that I can help with right now. 
And I remember going up to two of my supervisors who between them had like 50 years of experience. And I was like, Hey, when does this feeling like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, go away. <clears throat> and they looked at me, they're like, we'll let you know. <laughs> Meaning nobody feels like they have their shit fully together. Right. Right. From that moment on, honestly, I no longer had imposter syndrome in like mm. the classical sense. Cause my whole thing, like from that moment on, I'm like, well, shit, nobody knows what they're doing. So it's okay. If I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, I'll figure mm. it out. Right. So a lot of the ways that I approach coaching one, you know, obviously I share that story, but another big thing is one is, you know, where is this imposter syndrome or, or this, this fear of incompetence or some level of that, where's that kind of coming from? And really kind of digging into that for the individual, right? Because so many people, so like, for example, some people inherently, they, so I call them the four horsemen of fear, right? So the four most common limiting beliefs that hold people back. So that is fear of failure. Everybody's familiar with that one. Mm -hmm. Fear of uncertainty, which is, I don't know which direction to go. I don't know which decision is the right decision for me. Um, fear of ridicule which is how will other people react? What will my friends and family say? And that one kind of gets into imposter syndrome, right? Like imposter syndrome is this self-sabotaging behavior that helps you avoid the thing you're afraid of. Because if you say, well, I don't, I don't think that I belong in that room. I don't think I'm good enough to be there. Then you never face that fear. You never put yourself out there. You never take those chances. So imposter syndrome actually serves the function to help you avoid the very things that you're afraid of, hmm. right? And the other fear is fear of success. Um, and that is actually, it sounds weird because you're like, why would I be afraid to achieve the thing I say I want? But a lot of people deep down believe that they don't deserve success, hmm. right? Or they believe that if they achieve success, they will, they'll peak, like they'll lose their ambition. They'll never do anything else, you know, in their life. Um, so I look at things like imposter syndrome or perfectionism or procrastination, all these kind of self-sabotaging behaviors. I look at it as this is a symptom of an underlying fear that you have, mm. right? So instead of asking, why do I have imposter syndrome? Asking what function does imposter syndrome serve, right? Like psychologists, we do what's called a functional analysis. Basically just means what purpose or what function does this behavior serve for you? How does it actually helping you in some twisted way. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I don't really look at it as how, how do we get rid of imposter syndrome so much as how do we understand what fear this is rooted in? How does this relate to my fear? How does this helping me avoid the things that I'm afraid to do? Right. That in my experience is leads to a much more productive session or a much deeper insight rather than saying, Oh, Hey man, it's okay. Nobody knows what they're doing. Like that's some intellectual shit that doesn't really sink in emotionally mm -hmm. versus really trying to explore and get super introspective of what the fuck are you afraid of? And why is that fear causing this imposter syndrome, right? Like, is it because deep down you believe that you don't belong in the room because you believe you're not good enough? Is it, you know, by putting yourself out there, people, you know, you think people are going to realize that you're a dumbass in air quotes, right? Because you're not a dumbass. Like, what are you afraid of deep down? You're not afraid of being an imposter. You are afraid of something else 
that that thinking you're an imposter is actually helping you avoid the thing you're deeply afraid of. Mm. So that's so that's kind of some of the shit that I do, man, is like trying to get super deep on what is at the core of everything you're trying to do and everything that's kind of standing in your way. And how can we learn to understand that and then develop strategies to overcome it, to either remove those obstacles or overcome them in some other way? Yeah, because then once you figure out that underlying fear, then are you having people face that fear in like a safe way like voluntarily or then what are you going where are you going next to after you after you discover that underlying fear yeah so one thing so at the end of the day we fear the unknown okay like everything you've ever been afraid of ultimately it is the things that you do not know that actually terrify you so it isn't that you're afraid you you will fail because if you know you'll fail definitively there's nothing to be afraid of because like you fucking know you're afraid that you are afraid that you will fail. Like, well, what if I do, mm. right? Or you're afraid that people will ridicule you, right? <clears throat> what will they say? What will happen? What, what, you know, X, Y, Z, what, what, what you just catastrophize it. So if the core problem is we fear the unknown then the solution inherent in that is we make the unknown known. And I know that sounds like some real super deep shit. It isn't as deep as it sounds like some fortune cookie shit. But <laughs> right, like I was like, oh, Corey's so fucking profound. Like, no, it's just, you know, it is what it is. So one thing we do is uh, what I call fear inoculation, right? So just like how like a vaccine works, and I'm not that kind of doctor, but my super like third grade understanding is vaccines work by introducing a little bit of the bad thing into your system mm-hmm. so that your system can can deal with it. And then if it ever comes around again, your system is better prepared to handle the real deal, right? So fear inoculation, sometimes from like stoicism, or if you if people are familiar with like Tim Ferriss, I know he does like a fear setting type exercise, it's similar. So fear inoculation is essentially, okay, let's define the thing you're afraid of. What is the worst case scenario, this catastrophe that you keep worrying about? Let's assume it happens. Let's assume that shit hits the fan. With that assumption, what now? How are you going to do damage control? How are you going to recover from it? How will you deal with this, assuming it actually comes to reality? It actually happens. And what you find when you go through this thought experiment is you really break it down like, okay, specifically, what the fuck are you afraid of happening? Oh, I'm afraid of X, Y, Z, whatever. Cool. If those things happen, how would you deal with them? Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, if you're afraid of failure, let's assume you fail. What then? Do you go back to the drawing board with all this knowledge you otherwise wouldn't have had? Right. Because if you're afraid of failure, so you just don't do it at all, well, you gain nothing. If you at least try and then fail, well, now you come back with way more knowledge and understanding and experience than you would have otherwise right? How will you see it as more of an iterative process of it isn't this before and after of either I succeed or I don't. It is, okay, I learned all of this stuff. So now what is version two going to look like? How can I come back at it? How can I pivot my business? How can I, you know, I mean, like, so you wrestled, right? So like I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? So me too. I love jiu-jitsu. Yeah. I'm a purple belt. Yeah. Wrestlers fuck me up on a daily basis, right? Not a purple belt. (laughs) 
I've been, so I've been doing about nine years, right? Okay. Um, That's awesome. So, okay, okay. Yeah. So, so wrestling, jujitsu, like any sort of martial art that is like you actually touch each other in combat, not just fucking katas or some shit, like actually like combat sports, it's all iterative, right? It isn't that you succeeded or you failed. Is it right. you learned what the fuck works and what the fuck doesn't work? So then you go back and you say, okay, I kept getting caught here. This guy kept submitting me here. I kept getting pinned when I did X, Y, or Z. Cool. What did you learn? Mm -hmm. How can you apply that to the next match or to your next training session? How can you get better by seeing everything that happens as, as information, as feedback? Okay. So when you break down like that fear of failure into, oh, well, if I failed, I would learn to see it as an opportunity to take what has happened to me and then apply that to the next thing that I do, right? Especially in entrepreneurship, because, you know, whether you, you, your, your first business succeeds or fails or whatever is irrelevant in that you will learn so much from either, either way, either thing happening that your second company, your second endeavor will be more successful because you can take everything you've learned good and bad from that first experience, right? So that's a, a big thing that we do is we just, we break it all down. One guy, <clears throat> his big fear was fear of success. And he was like, look, man, I've been the underdog my entire life. What does the dog do if it catches the car? He was like, what if I lose all of my ambition? What mm. if I achieve like, you know, this, this niche fret, this niche fame, and I gain too much authority in the, in the way of people hang on my every word and they, they put too much faith in my opinions. He's like, I'm just a dude. I, I, you know, the whole power corrupts, you know, mentality of like, I'm, I'm afraid that if I achieved that level of authority and, and celebrity, that that would change me. Mm. So then it was like, okay, let's break it down. Let's list out all the shit. Let's assume all the shit happens. You get super famous in your niche and then da, da, da. what then? How are you going to deal with it? Oh, well, I would, you know, I would have these checks and balances in place. I would do this. I would do that. Like, and, and we just, we broke it down. Right. So as soon as you make the unknown known or knowable, it's no longer terrifying because now you've made it concrete. Now, you know exactly what you're afraid of. And you know exactly how you're going to deal with it. So then it isn't that the fear fully goes away so much as you're like, okay, I know what I'll do if this happens. And because you now feel prepared, now it is way easier for you to move forward with whatever this goal is. Because yeah. that's the thing is like most people avoid the shit that they're afraid of, right? Right. And, he, and so, so here's the thing. Fear and danger are two separate things. Mm -hmm. The issue is when we assume fear means danger, right? So like, you know, if I pointed a gun at your head, that would induce fear. Mm -hmm. But if it was a Nerf gun, you wouldn't be in danger, but you would still experience all of this fear because you don't know it's a Nerf gun. You think it's a real fucking gun, right? Conversely, I could point a real fucking gun at the back of your head and if you don't know about it, you have no fear, although you're in hella danger, right? So that's another question you can ask yourself is, okay, I'm afraid, but am I, in, am I in danger? We in modern society are very rarely in actual danger, but we're afraid of shit all the time. 
We're afraid of, you know, a bill running late. We're afraid of how our family's going to react when we tell them we're taking this career path versus that. We're afraid of how the fuck Twitter's going to react or some shit. Like, right. Like we're afraid of deadlines. We're afraid of what our boss is going to say. We're afraid of going to this, this job interview, right? We're afraid to meet our girlfriend's dad or whatever it is, right? We're afraid of tons of shit that never actually puts us in real danger. So learn like, learning to, to see it that way, be like, Oh fuck, I'm not actually in danger. Like this isn't on a, on a, on a, you know, the grand scheme of things, this isn't a huge deal. The issue a lot of people run into is they assume that because they're afraid, that means they're in danger. And then they kick into this fight or flight mode Mm -hmm. and they just kind of get paralyzed with shit. That's where the, the problems kind of come out. Yeah. So you want to, you want to try and decouple the two of those things. Yeah. And Do you think that when people start working through their fears that they completely are able to remove that fear or they just become better at moving forward uh, despite having that still or being able to better manage it? I think it's about tempering it, right? And keeping it into perspective. A big issue with with a lot of fear is fear makes us myopic, meaning it makes us short-sighted to where all we can see is this thing that we are immediately afraid of. So learning to take a, a kind of take a step back and see it from a larger perspective helps put it in its place mentally, right? Of like, Hey, you know, I have this, this big investor pitch or, Hey, I have this job interview, whatever it is. Yeah. That's a big deal. But in the grand scheme of things, even if this one thing doesn't work out, there's tomorrow, there's next week, there's next month. There's, there's also the shit, right? One question I ask you know, people is whatever the thing is you're currently afraid of, just ask yourself, will this matter in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year, and in 10 years, 99% of things will never make it to that 10 year mark of like, oh, well, this will matter tomorrow, but it won't matter next week. Well, if it won't matter next week, it doesn't fucking matter now. Overall, as far as dedicating hours and hours worth of worrying and trying to figure it out right? And beating yourself up about it. But there are some things that you eventually get to, will this matter in 10 years? Yes. Yes. This thing will still matter in a decade. Cool. That's the shit that is worth you focusing on and trying to figure out. But the majority of shit that we worry about on a day-to-day basis, we, it, it doesn't materially affect us in the long, you know, in in the grand scheme of things. And most of the shit we forget about the shit you were worried about three weeks ago, you like the majority of things in a couple hours, it was gone or by the next day or the next week, it was gone. You don't even remember it anymore. But again, we, we act as if whatever we're currently afraid of is the only thing that exists in the world because we catastrophize it out. So doing these little thought experiments of trying to put it into perspective, because again, like, will this matter in a handful of days or weeks or okay, if it does happen, how will I deal with it? You're putting all this into perspective and it helps you take a step back and be like, okay, even if it is a big deal, I can make it through it. I have a plan or, Hey, this shit isn't going to matter later. So really it isn't that important now that helps filter out the majority of shit that we let get in our way. Interesting. Very cool. I love that. And is this, some of this information is, is stuff that you obviously learned uh, as a clinical psychologist but is it, um, and then you became executive coach. Is this stuff that you're integrating between the two worlds or how does that work? 
Yeah. So even as a clinical psychologist, I'm, I'm sort of an oddball in that modern psychology, specifically like cognitive behavioral therapy and its iterations, as far as dialectal behavior therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, like all the fucking acronyms and lettering and shit. Um, <laughs> modern psychology is largely rooted in ancient philosophy. Okay. Specifically things like stoicism, Buddhism, um, and a couple other, you know, a handful of like, you know, like Socratic questioning, um, shit like that. All psycho like modern psychology really did was take the same shit and rebrand it mm -hmm. and, you know, throw on some studies and shit. That's really it. Like shit people figured out thousands of years ago. Now we're like, holy shit, you know, what's really effective for anxiety, deep breathing, but we're going to call it diaphragmatic breathing. Well, motherfucker, you talk to anybody who studies Buddhism or is taking a fucking yoga class. We're like, oh yeah, deep yep. belly breaths. That shit works, right? So <clears throat> what I did early on was, I was like, well, fuck it. I'll just go to the source. I will just read Stoicism or I will learn about Buddhism. That informed my approach a lot more than I would have understood if I had only taken my classes and only read the textbooks and the, the, the articles and all that shit's important. Right? All this shit gives you context, right? And especially from like a therapeutic perspective, like when you're dealing with people with like clinically significant, like disorders and shit, you, you have to have that level of training. You can't just read some stoicism, but then treat people with addiction. Like that shit isn't going to fucking work. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but Practical philosophies like, again, not all of it, but largely <clears throat> things like Stoicism, things like Buddhism, shit like that, that can get you very, very far because it is so practical and so easily applied. That's why so many entrepreneurs read Stoicism because it's super fucking practical. Right. Right. So I always go back to things like that. And because I did that, the way I approached situations, either with therapy, you know, patients or now with coaching clients. It is all from, from very much a, how can we learn to understand ourselves better and then change our behaviors to reflect the person we want to be mm. right? like that's, that's because I had a, a supervisor early on in therapy and he was like, look, man, at the end of the day, everything is cognitive behavioral, even if it isn't considered like formal CBT because formal CBT cognitive behavioral therapy is it can be a little rigid. There's a lot of just terms that get in the way of shit. Um, and there are a lot of manuals and some people just, they're, they're way too rigid with how they approach it. But the supervisor, he's like, look, man, everything is cognitive behavioral in that everything is about either how we think or how we behave. Mm -hmm. And the sooner you realize that the sooner all this therapy shit is going to make sense. So it doesn't matter if you take a Freudian perspective or a union perspective or, you know, this or that or whatever, because ultimately all of these people, all they're trying to do is help people change or understand how they think and how they behave. Fundamentally, that's what the fuck all this shit is about. Mm -hmm. Therapy, philosophy, sports, all this shit, right? Because even like, you know, with sports, your coach is like, hey, behave differently, right? Hey, Think about this differently. That's all the fucking, all of it is. It's just all these different disciplines come about it from a different perspective. Cause you know, the goals may be different. Our own experiences are different, right? Cause again, you're not going to go to a wrestling coach for the same issues as, as a therapist or a social worker, right? Like, right. but ultimately 
what everybody's trying to do is be more intentional with how you think and how you behave. That's my perspective anyway. No, I think that's, I think that's brilliant. Cause I usually define mental health as how you think, feel and act. And so I think that falls in line with exactly what you said. And based on all of your studyings of stoicism, philosophy, psychology, and now coaching, you know, how, how would you define that term mental health? Okay. So I was going to bring this up anyway. <clears throat> Here's the thing that I didn't realize about the therapy world until I got into coaching. And we can go later into like the difference between the two. Yeah. Therapy, specifically like taking, like becoming a clinical, you know, psychologist or whatever, because there are psychologists, counselors, social workers, marriage and family therapists, there are a bunch of people who can do therapy, different types of therapy. But we, meaning clinicians, define mental health as the absence of mental illness. Okay. I didn't realize how fucked that was until I got into coaching. Mm. Okay. Because fundamentally, the difference between therapy and coaching, and again, we go more in depth, but fundamentally, the difference is therapy is about bringing somebody from dysfunctioning to functioning. So, that, that is the primary goal of, of most modern forms of therapy, okay? Especially when you're talking about therapy that insurance in the American healthcare system pays for. Because, and, and I say that because insurance doesn't cover non-pathology. It doesn't cover, like, it'll cover major depressive disorder, single episode mild, but it will not cover, like, burnout or some shit necessarily, right? Mm -hmm. Or like, hey, doc, I just want to, like, kind of dig into my childhood unless that's causing some clinically significant fucking symptoms insurance won't give a shit so they won't pay for it so unless you pay out of pocket fuck you pretty much is 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 what happens right so therapy is about bringing you from dysfunctioning to function coaching largely is about taking somebody who already functions pretty well and helping them optimize optimize flourish whatever term you want to throw in there right I never realized that I never, I didn't really know what mental health or mental wellness was. I only knew what it wasn't. Mm. So my goal as a therapist wasn't to help you become healthy. It was to help you no longer be ill. Right? So my, my job was to help you become um, what is called subclinical, meaning you no longer warrant the diagnosis of major depressive disorder. So you may still be kind of sad or kind of, you know, just humdrum gray days, but because you no longer warranted an official diagnosis because your symptoms weren't bad enough, they didn't last long enough, or they didn't occur frequently enough, you no longer warrant the diagnosis. That was my goal. Like, not like my personal goal. That was my professional goal, like the function of my job was to help you get to baseline, to help you get to where your head is above water. Mm. After that, that largely is when therapy, psychotherapy ends of like, Hey doc, I feel okay. Now you may not feel super happy. You may not have optimized, you know, your, your habits or your mindset or, you know, flesh everything out and, you know, living the best life you possibly could. 
so much as you're no longer having panic attacks, or you can now walk around Walmart without, you know, almost fainting because of anxiety of being around people. So you're no longer ill. That is how we define health. We define it as the absence of illness, not the presence of wellness. So fucked, such a fucked way to look at it. And I didn't realize that until I went into executive coaching. Wow. So, so then what if I'm seeing a, a psychologist and I become, like you said, my head's above water. Mm-hmm. Are most psychologists then taught to that? Can they bring me up to a higher okay. level if I continue to see them? I would imagine they are. Okay. So yes and no. <clears throat> So when I became like, when I got like, so I, I went through both for like licensure reasons and some other shit. I like, I, I am officially certified to coach, right? Like I didn't just call myself a fucking coach. I went through a very specific program. Um, all of the skills I had as a psychologist were already very transferable to coaching as far as helping people develop insight, helping them kind of get off the fence of ambivalence and actually take action, all of the shit. So I was prepared to coach people. What I needed was the mental shift, again, away from this illness model to the wellness model, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of psychologists hypothetically are capable of helping you go beyond just surviving and actually thriving. The issue is, <clears throat> You know, again, this is functional analysis. What is the function of a psychologist? Most psychologists, not all. And, and again, especially like with private practice, some people, you know, they, they, they cash only clinics, they can see whoever they want and they have a lot of leeway with that. The issue is from like a professional standpoint, you, ha- you can only practice in certain areas where that is a sustainable business model, mm-hmm. right? So you have to be in higher income areas to actually run a business doing shit like that. Right. So that's one issue because again, insurance doesn't cover that kind of stuff. So yes, hypothetically you could, but a big issue, man, is the person who can help you overcome anxiety, depression may not necessarily be the person who can help you optimize as an athlete or optimize your business habits, Mm. for example. Right. Because again, like I got no business training throughout school. I even asked, you know, like my department, like, Hey, can we partner with like the, the college of business? So they just like, give us a couple, just fucking entrepreneurship, just a fucking webinar or some shit. We got none of it. Okay. Wow. So most psychologists are not prepared to help an entrepreneur because they don't understand it. Dude, all the shit that I've learned, I've learned since December, 2020, like I fully self-taught. Okay. So you can find one but it would be pretty hard. Honestly, man, around about half the people I work with have both. Mm. They work with me as their coach and then they have a therapist for other things. And most of the people I work with, I don't even know why the fuck they're in therapy because that isn't what they see me for. And like, for me specifically, man, like I maintain a therapy license, but I, I plan to never do therapy again. It's just some legal bullshit. I got to fuck with red tape, whatever. Um, but because of that, I have to be very specific and it's in my contract and everything that all my clients sign up. Like, look, even though I, I can legally do therapy, you are not my therapy client. We don't do therapy. If I, at my sole discretion, think that you have hit a point where you need it, 
you're going to go because we're not going to be doing, we're going to call it coaching and it's actually therapy. Like absolutely fucking not like, because a lot of coaches actually do therapy and they don't even know it. Like ADHD coaches are practicing therapy. Addiction coaches are practicing therapy. Anxiety coaches are practicing therapy because by definition, you like ADHD, addiction, anxiety, these are diagnoses which requires you to go to therapy, mm. right? That's a personal pet peeve of mine is a lot of people are calling it coaching and they're actually practicing therapy without any therapy training. And they can cause a lot of fucking harm to people. But people like regular people don't know that like, oh, they're, you know, they're an addiction coach. No, like it's unless they went through very specific training and they're like attached to an addiction recovery program and they are actually a recovery coach, meaning like they are somebody who is in recovery themselves. They went through specific training. They work alongside a psychologist and a physician. Cool. Right. Just some random motherfucker with a, you know, a a website. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But coaching is unregulated. Right. right? So, right. and, and, And so this is, so this is part of why I maintain my license. I legally cannot call myself a clinical psychologist unless I have a, a, an active license. I can say I have a doctorate in clinical psychology, but I cannot say that I'm a clinical psychologist without an active license. It's some weird bureaucratic bullshit, right? But anybody can call themselves a coach. Anybody Anyone. can call themselves any kind of coach. I can be a fucking sex coach. If like, there's no fucking rules, right? And that's part of the issue Yes, is that anybody can call themselves a life coach without any training. And I know mm-hmm. some life coaches, they're solid people. They know what they're doing. 90% fucking don't. And right. there's really no way for you to be able to tell that just by looking. But I mean, there's a lot of shitty psychologists too. So like, you know, gatekeeping is a real issue, but you're more likely to find a, a competent psychologist than Googling a life coach. Right. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's why there's, there seems to be all these different domains of psychology and coaching for the specific niche that they're trying to reach. Like sports psychology is big now. Uh, mental performance coaches are big now, which is kind of, I think it's basically the same thing. Uh, and, you know, life coaching is a big industry and, you know, uh, therapy and stuff like that. But I was a personal trainer for a long time. And that industry is very similar to the life coaching industry where anyone could be a personal trainer. Basically, I mean, you could take a certification or you don't really have to. No one actually asks you if you have a certification. Um, and it's not regulated. So I can go on Instagram and I can put, you know, my price is on there. I can show you like one nice workout and people will pay for that, but I'm not actually teaching them how to work out. I'm not actually optimizing their fitness. Um, I can't give them nutritional advice because I have no nutritional background and all of these but things. But you can, you well, can I mean, call yes, yourself. Can. Well, but that's yeah. what I'm saying, right? Like, so you can call yourself a nutritionist. You can't call yourself a dietitian, mm. right? Dietitian is, is a protected term. Nutritionist isn't. So or you nutrition throw, coach or yeah. Yeah. You could throw them on some fucking bro diet and be like, I'm a nutrition coach. Fucking, you know, st- grilled chicken and broccoli and white rice all day, every day. Right. Fucking right. Bro diet. Right. You can, and <laughs> yeah. people would pay for it. Right. Fuck man. You can do so much harm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the problem, right? Like it's like, there's, there's really good personal trainers, really good ones. I've been, I've been trained by them as an athlete. And there's some really good coaches. I've also worked with some really good coaches. 
And I work with really good therapists with my nonprofit. And all of these people do a really good job in their specific area, but they have integrity about what they're doing. And they're not just saying things to get cash. They're not just marketing it in this like social media age where you can market anything. If you've got some good marketing, you're going to make money. But there's got to be some, some internal integrity. You got to be just like, you know, working in truth, like also seeking love and truth and like these things that, that, that you value. Like you talk about living an intentional life all the time, Corey. And I, I know that you talk about living through your values. And like, that's what, like, that's what these people aren't doing. And that's why it gets a bad rap when these, um, um, these uh, professions are unregulated and then they get, they get stomped on because there are people out there who are doing harm when they think that they're pretending to do good. And that's really, I think, at the core issue. Yeah. And the other issue too, man, is like you, I know people who've done this, like you can read like the top 10 psychology books and then be like, I'm a mindset coach. You can. And honestly, you could probably do pretty well if you're, mm -hmm. if you were good at conveying information and good at coming up with a sales page, you can. And a lot of people, and you can make a perfectly viable career for the rest of your life just by reading the top 10, whatever the fuck books mm -hmm. and, 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 and synthesizing it. But in my experience, people pay for nuance. And what I mean by that is, you know, fake gurus and snake oil salesmen are really good at making the world look black and white. Everybody else sucks. Mine is the secret technique. This is the one hack you need. This is the fuck all whatever. But any true expert, and this is part of the issue that experts struggle with when they come against fake gurus. Experts understand that there is nuance, that the world isn't black and white. It is gray. Right. Now, the issue that, that experts struggle with is experts spend their entire career learning to be an expert, not learning to sell their expertise. Gurus mm. spend most of their time learning to sell bullshit, right? Mm. And the better salesman tends to win right. in the short term, right? Now, eventually you burn bridges or, you know, you develop this super shitty audience or whatever. But that's a big issue is people who are serious about improving themselves in, in any capacity. Those are the people who are willing to invest in somebody who understands nuance. And eventually, you reading those top 10 books and telling people to drink water and to wake up and to get eight hours of sleep and to, you know, time block, that's shit anybody, if you've been on Twitter for more than 10 minutes, you have seen those fucking posts. Totally solid advice. I do not disagree with it. You should get adequate sleep, diet, exercise, all that other shit, right? You should Absolutely. time block, you should batch, of course. But eventually, you're going to run across somebody who's like, yeah, I've done all that. And yet, I'm not making the progress I need to make. Mm -hmm. That is a motherfucker who needs nuance. And you are not the motherfucker to give it. Because all you did was read some shit, repackage it, vomit it right back out, and pretend you're an expert when you're fucking not and that's when the harm comes in right yeah they can they can do a fine job when it's just like 
surface level advice. Exactly. But when it gets like to the real meat and bones of actually optimizing someone or bringing them, like you said, from dysfunction to function, or you're working with a CEO who's built 10 companies, like the person you were talking about, that person can't make them help them build the 11th company. You know, they're, they're barely struggling to build their own practice on this surface level stuff that you're talking about. And I and think that person what, doesn't have the patience to deal with somebody who is incompetent. Exactly. And, and I think, so it, you know, the universe tends to work itself out a little bit, I think on those, but some people do get away with it their whole life and, you know, kudos to them. Maybe they're using the money to feed their family and live a great life and all those things and cheers to that, you know, but uh, I think it does catch up to people if you're not if you're not moving in a, in a way that's, you know, truth seeking and living with integrity, but that's yeah, just the way yeah. I see it. No, I agree. And, and the other thing to, to kind of touch on your point about, you know, you sort of accruing, you know, this, this network of, of people who are, you know, they have integrity and all this other stuff, a really good, a good question to ask people to just kind of vet them isn't to ask them what they're good at or what they know about, but ask them what they're not good at. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is, are people aware of the edges of their competence or not? Because somebody who tells you they can do everything is just full of shit. Exactly. Right. So like, and again, I, I am not the best coach in the world. I don't pretend to be. I just, I know a decent bit of shit, right? Like there are very few executive coaches who are also like doctoral level psychologists, right? I am not for everybody, right? Both is just personality because obviously I cuss a lot and just, you know, I'm, I'm covered in fucking tattoos and shit. Like if y'all look at my website, like I am a pretty low key guy. However, well, the, the top of your website picture, that picture is really nice. So dude, that's me. That is not some fucking LinkedIn headshot. Like, and I specifically, like when I, it was a friend who, who did my headshot shows like yeah. this, I specifically want it to not look like some LinkedIn shit. Like this is me in fucking <laughs> dark jeans, boots, black t-shirt, my fucking tattoo showing like that is it's, me. It's a great here. picture. Authentic, <laughs> you know, authentic, exactly. you know, when people sign up for your course, they know that they're getting you and they know that you're going to present you to them. Yeah. There's no bullshit. I just, I don't have time for bullshit in my life. But the thing is, man, like, so like with you and like the sports stuff. So if somebody were to come to me and be like, Hey, Corey, can you do this group with um, like team sports athletes to help them with sports psychology? Cause I, all the time I have people like, Hey man, like, I'm sure you'd be great at sports psychology because you're a psychologist and you do combat sports. I'm like, look, that isn't my competency. Like I am not good at that. Like I I've helped like MMA fighters one-on-one -on -one with like some mindset shifts and some other ways of like kicking into, to like that, that combatant mode when mm -hmm. they need to. And we can go into that at some point if you want, but Absolutely. for me to talk to like a football team, I don't understand football. Like I, my dad tried to get me into it. Like I legitimately, I don't understand any ball sport, football, baseball. My girlfriend tries to get me into hockey. I don't fucking understand any of it. So I am not the person to go and talk to a sports ball team about sports balling. I just, I'm fucking not right. I know that. So when you were trying to vet people, a simple question like that, Oh, you know, I can do everything. You fucking can. You're full of shit. Exactly. Yeah. Because experts know what they're experts at and what they're not exactly like i i like i played baseball for a long time i coach a baseball team now so when people ask me to do baseball related things yes that is where like one of three things that i'm i know a lot about you know exactly um but if you ask me to coach a, a tennis player i don't you know i don't know i know that the rotational skills are a bit similar i know the lateral movement is a bit similar 
but I've never played a serious game of tennis. So I can't train that person to be an elite level performer. I can maybe if I have a son and he wants to play tennis, absolutely. But if he wants to get good, he's getting a coach because that guy knows what he's doing. And I'm very, very happy to say, I don't know that. Um, but I can try and figure it out or I can ask someone who absolutely does know that answer and I will get back to you. And I think that's an important skill to develop, um, especially when you're in this kind of field of trying to be a service to people because you're doing them a disservice by just straight up lying to them. <laughs> exactly. And I think when you're trying to be effective at whatever it is, whether it's coaching or a company or your job or whatever, I'm a huge fan of knowing and staying in your lane. And I don't mean like saying, fuck everybody else. That isn't my job. I mean, getting hyper clear on what you are most valuable doing. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's even something like I do, like with some of like my clients of like, look, <clears throat> eventually you become the bottleneck for your company, whether you're a solopreneur, whether you have a team, it doesn't matter. Eventually you as the, the creator, the owner, whatever you become the bottleneck. And it is important to learn to recognize where you're the bottleneck and then figure out how to remove yourself as a bottleneck. And one simple way is, you know, one question I ask him is like, where are you most valuable to your company? Like the top one to three, maybe five things you are most felt like what is most worth your time for you to spend doing for your company? What is all the other shit that somebody else could do either yeah. as good or marginally within that than you all that shit outsource it, right? Like, you know, delegate it, automate it, you know, that Eisenhower matrix should have like do delegate, eliminate, whatever, like offload as much of that shit as possible. So that one, you're moving yourself as a bottleneck, but two, now you are staying in your lane where you are most valuable to your company, to your goals. Because when you're trying to do everything, when you're trying to keep control of everything, you eventually bottleneck growth for yourself, for your company, for your team, for whatever. You have to know what you are most uniquely qualified to do and focus on that. Because that way, if everybody does that, everybody fires on all cylinders mm -hmm. and you can grow exponentially. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, that basically is the definition of, of elite performers exactly. in, in any sort of domain. And that leads me to kind of my next question. We, we kind of briefly touched on sports, but there's a, there's a heavy discussion now about sports and mental health and the intersection of that. And then past the mental health discussion, there's like the, the mental skills, the mental wellness, the mental performance discussion. And I know you work with elite performers, whether business, sport, MMA fighters, you mentioned. Do you think it's possible, and I think it is, to build an elite performer in any sort of domain while maintaining like high mental well-being? And right before we popped on, uh, I saw a tweet that you put out about work-life balance and how you want to integrate that. And I, I think about that as like a harmonious passion. Um, and I think those two kind of fall in line. So give me your thoughts on that. Yeah. So for, for context, you know, for listeners, I talked about, you know, kind of stop thinking about it as work-life balance and start thinking about it more as work-life integration, right? So instead of trying to see it as like two opposites, how can you make it whole? Like how can you build a whole life where the work you do complements the life you live rather than 
clocking in and clocking out, right? Like that's the thing that fucks a lot of people. And that's especially important for like athletes, right? Cause like, if you are trying to be an elite level athlete, that's what the fuck you do. Everything you eat, every, the way you train, the people you hang out with, the, mm -hmm. the shit you consume in any capacity generally all serves the function to make you a better athlete. Now, yes, yeah, some people, they have like training camps and then they just kind of fuck off in between training camps. Those people also don't tend to do very well overall. And there's this, I'll butcher the quote, but it is by uh, George St. Pierre, who's super famous MMA fighter. And one of his, his quotes is essentially, is, you know, I'm not a fighter. A fighter trains for a specific fight. He was like, I am a martial artist, meaning everything I do serves the function of being a, a whole well-rounded person. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, you can Google the, the full quote, but I love that because he's like, look, I don't just train for a fight. I, this is what I do all day, every day. So I don't do this, like, you know, this boom and bust cycle of, I train super hard for like six weeks or two months. And then I fuck off for a couple months between fights. He's like, I am eating clean all the time. I am staying in shape and training every day. All like that is just, that is my life. So he had integrated all of that. So now, even though he's retired and he may not train as hard or as frequently necessarily, but the dude still eats really clean, mm -hmm. trains pretty much every day. Cause that is just his life. Like that is just what he does. Right. Right. And I think it's just like, think about like any habit, right? It is much easier to integrate a habit into your day-to-day -day life rather than, than what you kind of already do rather than try to do like some new year's resolution bullshit, right? Like very few people ever like actually maintain their new year's resolution more than like two or three weeks. Cause they tend to try to make this big, massive change that takes their entire routine at a hard left, right? Versus trying to make little, middle, little changes. And then you kind of build your life around it. Um, as far as athletes and mental health, yes, obviously you, you can have both, right? I'm not a fan of like this whole thing of you have to be miserable to be a top performer. Cause like, what's the point, mm -hmm. right? Like you can't take your trophies with you when you die, your friends and family don't give a shit about how many awards you have. Right. What's the point if, if you hate the journey, right. Or if all of that journey comes at, at the cost of something you actually care a lot about because any worthwhile endeavor requires a sacrifice. Okay. So the point is to be intentional with the sacrifices you make. Okay. And what I mean by that is everything, there's a trade-off, right? So when you are, when you decide to sit on the couch and binge watch something and eat Cheetos all evening, instead of going and training, well, that is a sacrifice you have unintentionally made, right? Mm -hmm. Versus saying, okay, instead of going out and getting shit faced three nights a week, I'm going to take, you know, two or three, you know, I'm going to take those nights and I'm going to invest in myself. I'm going to learn something. I'm going to learn a new hobby. I'm going to read some cool books, listen to some awesome podcasts. I'm going to do something else that in the long term will lead to a better life or a better version of myself. Well, that is an intentional sacrifice because you're saying I am willing to sacrifice bullshit for this better outcome. So as an athlete, 
there are times when you aren't going to be able to go out and get pizza with the guys, right? Because you have a fight coming up and you, that is a sacrifice. Like you, you can't do that. Right. And that's fine. If the sacrifice is worth it in the end. Right. Because like, I know people who they, they make all those sacrifices and then they end up just fucking miserable because like, fuck man, it wasn't worth it. I didn't get to, to see, you know, my baby girl growing up because I was always training. I was always doing X, Y, or Z and like, yeah, I got this, you know, this belt or yeah, I got this money, but I missed the first six years of her life that mm-hmm. I will never get back. Right. So again, it isn't a good or bad thing. It is a matter of what sacrifices are worth it to you in the long run. Right. Between that and learning to integrate your training, your life in your work, that I think is the path to, to, to having, to balancing a professional career in mental health or mental wellness, right? So like one of the guys, um, Chewy, so for jujitsu guys, like the jujitsu, uh, Facebook channel or, um, YouTube channel, things up to like 300 K followers or something. So Chewy, um, I train at Chewy's gym right now, Derby city MMA. Um, and Chewy talks about this as far as like, you know, Chewy trains jujitsu probably twice a day, majority of the week. Um, and he lifts and like, he runs a fucking gym, right? Like he, he teaches and spars and he lifts. And then he's got the podcast and his newsletter. He does a ton of shit, right? And Chewy is a huge proponent of like work-life balance. He was like, don't talk to me about that. He was like, I don't have it. I, I do not have a balance between my work and my life. Like I do it like it is all together. He was like, there's some nights where, you know, I get home late and that's just kind of part of it. He was like, I do what I love. I do not have work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, and now like his, his fiance, um, cause they're engaged now, um, Jess, like, that's the thing, like, she's got to talk to people about, like, if he's dating of like, look, if you're going to expect, you know, me to like clock out at five o'clock and come home and fuck off on the couch, he's like, that isn't me. Like, this is what I do. Like, I train, I teach, I do this, I do that. Right. And I think that is, I think that's more sustainable. Because like this, that's your life. That is what you do. And you have, you have found a way to integrate everything together rather than seeing it as, okay, now I got to go work. Okay. Now I can relax. Mm. Right. Cause like humans are lazy. Like we, we just, we gravitate toward what feels good and what takes the least amount of effort. So mentally, when you make this, this dichotomy of work and life, either, or it makes work just seem harder. Mm. So now we're not doing that, the, the hard shit because we enjoy the process. We're doing it just as like a chore so that we can get back and enjoy life, right? Versus integrating them and like, how can I be a well-rounded athlete? How can I build this life around what I truly give a shit about? That to me is, is, a, is a much more sustainable long-term thing some of the best guys I know, as far as like the best, like martial artists I know, that's what they do, right? Like, I mean, yeah, they, they don't have the same amount of time to fuck around in the evenings, 
but the, but the partners that they attract, like, like their girlfriends, a lot of the people I know are dudes. I know a couple of women who do that lifestyle, but like, you know, like the, the women they end up finding get it. They're mm-hmm. supportive, right? The friends that they make are on the same journey or a similar journey. So everybody's super supportive. Right. Right. And I think that those, the guys who have found that again, not that balance, but that integration, I think they are in a much better headspace the majority of the time versus the guys I know who they train, you know, in fight camp, they're super, you know, they're super gung ho. And then you don't see them for a couple of weeks because they're fucking off. Those guys do like, those guys are trying to see it as a balancing act rather than how do I integrate everything together in a cohesive whole? The balancing people tend to struggle way more than integration people. I'm really glad I saw that tweet right before we hopped on. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfect timing for that. But yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. Like thinking about me as a college athlete, like that's what, that's what we're trying to do because, you know, I'm trying to have a social life. I'm trying to do my full-time job as a baseball player and I'm trying to be a full-time student. There's no real balance because then it would be like, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. Viewing it like that doesn't work. And so trying to again, integrate all three of those things. And maybe some days I'm giving more time to this, or some days I'm deciding to do this over this, but it's all part of this one like harmonious experience um and so yeah i think that's a fantastic way to look at it brilliant well and like even you know like with with me and entrepreneurship right like and again i am not some like super big fancy like 20 30 100 million dollar entrepreneur type people right like i'm i'm still grinding it out but like my girlfriend she gets it she's like look someday some days you're not going to come out of your office until seven o'clock like she's not happy about it but she supports it right or like, you know, sometimes we'll talk about friends and be like, yeah, man, like I played wow all weekend. I'm like, dude, that's fucking great for you. Like I got no problems with you fucking off of video games. I was like, I love video games. I miss playing them, but I have a finite amount of time every day. And, and again, like I'm not demonizing video games. There's nothing wrong with video games. But for me personally, every time, like the majority of times, like after I would, you know, binge, uh, you know, eight hours playing a video game, I'm like, fuck man, like I could have read a book. Mm-hmm. Or fuck, I could have worked on, you know, my brand, or I could have come up with a, a new like digital product idea or some other kind of thing to where I'm just like, look, man, like I only have so much time in a day, so much energy, mental bandwidth. I would rather spend that busting it out on my business and then going and hanging out with my girlfriend, going and training jujitsu, going and doing something else, you know, and maybe watching a little bit of TV in the evening versus spending all Saturday fucking off on video games. And I have people all the time like, hey, man, can you come play with us? Like, dude, I'd fucking love to. But I, I don't love to enough to do it because I have eight other priorities that outrank that. Right. Right. So I'm not saying I, I don't I, I want to, but I got shit that is just more important to me. Right. And that's that's the thing is like this. There's this integration of like, you know, if, if I was trying to balance it, then I would you know work hard and then I would fuck off on the weekends. But for me, I'm like man, I'm in my office Sunday through Saturday. Like I don't, I don't take days off because I don't want to. Cause even right. like when I try to take a day off, all I'm, I'm thinking about my business or I'm thinking about an article I can write or like my girlfriend and I will like, we'll take a road trip sometimes. And on the road trip, like I'm, I'm like, obviously like I'm talking to her and you know, we're, we're having quality time, but I'll have an idea. And I'm like, pause, I need to write this shit down. Mm-hmm cause this is a great article idea or, Oh, I need to put this in, in an article. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to, Oh, I need to contact somebody about this idea. 
Like that is how my brain works because I see it as an integration. And again, I'm not an authority on this. Throw all this shit out the window, right? You got to find out what the fuck works for you. But for me, I much prefer this version of my life than when I had a therapy job and I worked, you know, the, the 8.30 to 4.30 and then turned off and then fucked, up, fucked around on the weekends or in the evenings. That just, that isn't for me. I would much rather go through 24 seven living a life that I love rather than seeing this as I work this job that I don't really care about. And then I enjoy myself in the weekends, the evenings, the occasional two week vacation, and then really shooting to retire at 65. That just, that isn't the life for me. And you, you started this entrepreneurial journey in December of 2020, you said? Correct. And now we're here in it's today the day we're recording is April 13th, 2022. So what have you, what have you learned about yourself, about building a brand and eventually the decision to put out a, a course called intentional life design? That it's way fucking harder than you anticipate, regardless of how hard you anticipate it to be. <laughs> it's, re it's really hard. <laughs> so my, my kind of journey, um, so the reason I kind of dove into entrepreneurship in December, 2020 was I had negotiated a remote therapy job. And then two months into that new contract, I got fired because they were like, Hey, we're not, we're not supporting telehealth anymore. So like no more remote jobs. Well, I was licensed in West Virginia and the way therapy licenses work, I can be anywhere in the world, but you as my patient have to physically be in the state I'm licensed in during the call. You don't have to live there. You just have to have your two feet on that piece of fucking dirt for that 30 to 45 minute call. So I'm licensed in West Virginia, living in Kentucky. I can't find another remote job out of West Virginia. I'm not willing to move back because we just moved. And in order for me to get licensed in Kentucky would have been like four months and hundreds of dollars, it just, just because of how fucked up the licensure process is. That's, it's just, it's totally fucking broken. Um, so I was like, fuck, I don't like, I have like three paychecks worth of runway, nothing in my savings, $200,000 in fucking loans, like student loans and shit, because getting a doctor is expensive as fuck. I was like, I got to figure something out. And I had a lot of um, apprehensions around coaching, just internalized stigma because you know, all through grad school, we're like, fuck life coaches. We're better than them, right? Like that was just as part of it. But I read this article by the American Psychological Association and they were like, look, you know, coaching is an unregulated field, which is why psychologists and other people with mental health backgrounds should actually join the discipline to elevate the quality. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting take. Um, one of the guys quoted in it, his name is Dr. Jeffrey Arbach. He runs uh, the College of Executive Coaching. So found his name, found that, and I ended up going through their program and it was really, really good. Um, so got the certification, started offering coaching for free, went really heavy, you know, went hard and heavy on my website, you know, writing and shit. And my writings evolved from like mental health toward like more businessy shit um, and slowly got paying clients, slowly just kind of started building it. And it's kind of where I'm at now. Um, but everything, man, is just kind of eat shit and grind. 
Mm-hmm. That's it. Like there's, there's no hacks. There's no, like, you know, my dad gave me a $1 million loan or a small million dollar, whatever the fuck it is. Like, dude, like all the shit that I've built, I have built not by myself in that I've met a lot of really fucking cool people who there are some people, man, like it isn't even that they help me out so much as they're entrepreneurs. So anytime I start to question my ability to be an entrepreneur, I just talk to them. Even mm-hmm. if they don't give me advice, it's just like, I know somebody who makes, you know, 20,000 a month off of one of their three companies. I know somebody who, who built an email list of, you know, 50,000 people. I know somebody with this. I know somebody who makes, you know, 10, 15 million a year, right? Just being able to talk to those people like, okay, I'm good. I'm struggling. I'm grinding. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but I know people who prove the model. Yeah. Yeah. And, and coming at that from like, again, just as like a poor kid from rural Appalachia, right? Like on food stamps and getting like church donation turkeys for, for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Like I didn't know anybody, right? Like all of this shit, like I've been able to, to meet super fucking cool people through, through the internet, you know, even just like, you know, me and you, like we met each other fucking Twitter. Like it's fucking awesome. Super cool. I love it. That's what I'm saying. And and so like with me and like this course, the course is basically just like all the shit I do with one-on-one coaching, just like all the strategies and frameworks, but just put into a curriculum with like a community attached to it. Because for me, like I, I took a lot of cohort based courses or CBCs um, after I got fired, you know, I took CBC. So I took a, a CBC on like how to write online, how to do YouTube, how to, to create a course, how to do this, how to do that. And the content in the courses was, was really good. But the biggest thing, the biggest benefit I got from all those courses was the people that I met was a community. It wasn't the ah. content. It was a community. So when I decided to like, you know, build my own, I was like, well, fuck, like I could just make this a self-paced course, charge, you know, 200 bucks for it and just let it, let it ride. I was like, but one self-paced courses have a super low completion rate because people buy them, but they just don't fucking finish them. Yeah. And there's no community attached. I was like, you know, my whole thing is I just want to like give people all these fucking tools, but then like help them be part of a community of other people who can help them network, brainstorm, just support each other. Like that's the real benefit for me with all the other courses I've taken. So that's why I decided to go that route with, you know, my own, um, but you know, we'll see how it goes. How is it going so far? Has it been well received? Uh, yeah. So I'm currently just doing, I don't know, again, like when this will, um, come out, but even if the course is already like officially launched, I'll, there will be subsequent cohorts people can go to if they want. Um, so my, my current strategy is I pre-sale, pre-sale the course. And then assuming the course is validated, meaning it hits a certain number of people, then I actually build it, right? And the, the struggle that a lot of people early on in entrepreneurship get into is they think the whole field of dreams thing, if I build it, they will come. No, that isn't how it really works. Most of the time, unless you have a fuck ton of money to throw at ad spend. Yeah. No. Right. Some of the best entrepreneurs I personally know, they do the opposite. Like, look, if they come, I will build it. Meaning they throw up a landing page or some, they put out some offer. And then if enough people buy it, then they're like, Oh, okay. 
I know people want it. People have opened their wallets. It isn't that people are just saying, oh, this is a really good idea. Like, don't fucking listen to anybody who tells you that thing is a good idea if they are not willing to open their wallet and actually purchase it, right? right. Skin in the game type shit. Um, so once enough people open their wallets, that's when, you know, a lot of the people I know, those are like, okay, now I'm going to build it. I know there's demand. I know people are already, you know, they, they've locked in their spot. They've given me money. Now I'm going to build the thing. Um, and that's just one of those things like you don't learn unless like, you know, entrepreneurs really, or you read a lot about it. Like that's like that just approach kind of blew my mind personally. I'm like, Oh shit. Like you don't have to have it fully fleshed out before you like show it to the world. You can just be like, Hey, I'm thinking about making this thing. Do you want in? Mm. So, and like, and again, for me, man, building it isn't a big deal because I already know everything's going to be in the course. Right. All it is, right. is just putting it into like, Oh, week one, we talk about this week three. We talk about that. Like all the shit I know works. All the shit I know is super helpful because I've been doing it for the last 16 months with, you know, entrepreneurs, founders, solopreneurs, online creators, whatever. Right. Yeah. You've, you've been in the trenches with it for the last two years. Yeah. So now you can give it to a mass audience and that's awesome. Um, besides your course and obviously your Twitter content is amazing. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it's really, it's good. It's concise. It's clear. It's easy to understand. And then there's an easier place to go get more information where I think you go more in depth, which is your newsletter, which I also subscribe to. Uh, how's the newsletter coming and where can people subscribe to that? Yeah. So, um, and I can, we can put up the link in the description of this, whatever, but yeah, so, I definitely will. So my name across all, all of the internet is Corey <laughs> Wilkes PsyD because my, my doctor is a PsyD. Um, so it would just be CoreyWilkesPsyD.com. And like that takes you to the homepage. You can look through shit. And then there's a newsletter sign up right there. Um, that's just, that's the, the easiest way to make sure you don't miss out sh on shit. You can also um, follow me on Twitter, which is again, Corey Wilkes ID. Mm -hmm. um, th the main difference between a PsyD and a PhD is just a PhD is more research heavy and not a lot of actual practice. Ah. PsyD is the opposite. A PsyD, we did a lot of like hands-on like therapy and just really practical work. And then we did some research. Let's see. That's the main difference. Like it's, just, it's the same level. It's just a, a side is like a newer degree. Cause a lot of people were like, fuck man, like I really want to do a bunch of therapy, but I didn't actually learn to do therapy a whole lot in grad school, getting my PhD. Like it'd be super cool if we had a degree that was mostly just doing therapy. Ah, uh, and then they built that. It makes sense. Correct. It's about like a, maybe like a 20 year degree. Like it's like around 20 years old overall, maybe a little bit more at this point. Oh, wow. It's Amazing. a relative, it's a relatively new degree, but yeah. it's just, it's very practical, very applied. Amazing. Well, Corey, I have one more question for you. If you're cool with that. Oh, dude, I got time. You're good. Okay. Um, I want to know what, like, what you do every day, what your like your specific go-to tools are for maintaining your mental wellness. One jujitsu. Oh yeah. Um, and lifting. I, I, I do like some strength training. I've been doing more Olympic lifting, um, which I super, super suck at. Like, do you like I Olympic just, lifting? It's very, very hard. <laughs> so I, I am not an athletic person. I am not coordinated. Like I, like, man, I did football for like literally a day <laughs> like in high school. Like I threw up the first day, my ankles swelled and I said, fuck it, I'm done. Um, I, I did virtually no sports growing up. I did baseball when I was like, you know, eight or nine. 
but I was like, where does the ball not go? Okay. I'll be like the right outfielder or whatever the fuck. Cause everybody's <laughs> right-handed. So it goes to the other side. Like that was amazing. Me. Right? Like when I was in band, I was like, Hey, I'm going to do the snare drum. And then, then when I got too hard, I was like, I'm gonna do the bass drum. And then when I got too hard, I'm like, I'm gonna play the fucking triangle. And the music teacher was like, we don't have triangle in any of the parts. I'm like, cool. Fuck it. That's me. I'll be the triangle guy. <laughs> right? Like I wasn't the all-star anything. So, um, Olympic lifting is, is I like it and hate it at the same time. Yep. I like how efficient it is. I hate how much I suck at it. Like snatches kick my ass. Mm -hmm. I just, my body's not core. Like cleans, cleans are a little bit easier. Like I don't do power anything. Cause like my knees are fucked. So like, I can't like dip. So I'll do like muscle cleans and muscle snatches, but snatches just, you know, cleans are a lot easier for me, but snatches just kick my ass. Um, so I lift, I do jujitsu. That's super helpful. Um, cause man, like the biggest thing, especially when you do something that it's hard to mentally turn off, like it's like, I'm always thinking about an article or a video I can do or a product, some kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to just be like, okay, I'm done for the day. Right. Or like when something super stressful is going on, like, cause like entrepreneurial stress is, is a different kind of stress. Cause it's just like, well, fuck, if this doesn't work out. I can't pay the bills, right? Like right. There's, there's a lot riding on it. So having something that forces your brain to turn off is incredibly helpful. For me, that is jujitsu. Cause even like when I'm lifting, I can still like ruminate or, you know, just think about this thing that is irritating me because lifting doesn't take a whole lot of like mental like effort for me. So I can, I can be like pissy and lift. I can't with jujitsu because right. there's another adult human being actively trying to strangle me unconscious. My brain has to dedicate all of its fucking resources to preventing that from happening. So there is like just this calm that I get that I only really get from jujitsu. Um, like after a really hard training session, because like some days, man, like, you know, I'm sure you, you go through this too. Like some days you're like, look, I know I'm just going to have a shit performance today. I feel off. I feel like shit. I just need to get my ass beat for two hours. And then you know what? I'll feel better. <laughs> it's just like for the audience, like you've never done just like, it sounds like super like masochistic or something, but so, like, man, it fucking helps. Like you really just cool. have to get there on those days. You just have to exactly get there. Exactly. And then like just shit changes. Like it's, mm. it's so cathartic. Um, so that for me, man, it helps a lot. Otherwise, you know, like I talked about with stoicism and Buddhism, those help me just on a daily basis, just like, you know, what's within my control, what is outside my control? How can I learn to, to, you know, kind of sort of shift my, my attention away from all the shit that I can't control and really double down my efforts on the few things that I can control that just kind of helps you stay in a more like empowered mindset. Mm -hmm. Cause like, you know, out of a hundred things, if 97 of them are out of your control, but three are within your control, you will feel so much better if you focus on those three instead of the 97. Because the 97, it doesn't matter how, how much you try to think about or how hard you fucking work, it's out of your control. So of all those things, what are the few that you can control and how can you focus on those more? Um, so I do a lot of shit like that. The Buddhism is just, you know, being, you know, aware of your thoughts. How can you, you know, remain calm or be aware when you're starting to get agitated or 
you know, holding tension in your muscles and shit, just mindfulness type shit. Those are the big things I do. Amazing. Are you someone who likes to journal? Because I know you write articles and you you write online a lot, but you do you journal for like yourself? So I am inconsistent with journaling. So I took a year and I journal like every day. Um, I bought the Daily Stoic, which I highly recommend. It's a super good like intro book to, to Stoicism. But the Daily Stoic has a, a companion like Daily Stoic journal. Mm. So I took a year and like every day, because the Daily Stoic is just like a day to day thing. So like every day there's like a quote and like a modern like application of that quote. So it's, you just read one page a day, super, super approachable. Um, I took a year and I did that. Like I, I read the prompts, I journaled about them, I journaled about my day, my thought process, whatever. And then, um, I, I kind of got out of the habit after I almost died. Um, long, well, you know, depending if you want to go down that route. Um, so last January, I almost died. So fired in December, almost died in January, right? Like wow. it was, it was a rough winter. Um, <clears throat> long story short, I had a bruise from jujitsu that I thought was a hairline fracture. Because again, jujitsu, like you're always banged up, you're always hurt, sore, whatever. And I had a bruise on my shin. And I get, I got bruised on my shins all the time back then because I did a little like shin on shin stuff. And I was like, oh, it's just a hairline fracture. I'll just walk it off. I'll give it a couple of days and it'll be, you know, whatever. Because jujitsu guys are fucking weird. Athletes are fucking weird. And it got super bad. So we ended up going to the hospital and they were like, Hey, this isn't a bruise. Um, it is basically like a super bad infection. Technically it was a, a hematoma with, uh, an, that had turned into an abscess and cellulitis, just a really like an infected bruise pretty much mm -hmm. that was spreading throughout my entire leg. Um, and they were like, look, if it has gotten into your blood or your bones, you could die. <laughs> so they're like, we have to immediately transfer you and prep you for surgery while we're waiting for the labs to come back. Well, this is peak COVID. So like beds are full, couldn't fucking mm. get transferred. I sat in this waiting, like this waiting little tiny room for like 12 hours on an IV drip of antibiotics that I wasn't responding to with HGTV like fucking house hunters and shit playing for 12 hours. The TV was broken. You couldn't turn it off and you couldn't change the channel. Oh my God. Like it was like extra hellish. Cause I fucking hate HGTV and now I hate it even more, but <laughs> they finally transferred me. Um, like I said, after about 12 hours and labs still hadn't come back yet. So I remember laying in that hotel or the hotel fucking hospital bed by myself. Couldn't have visitors. Um, so I was all alone except for like the occasional nurse to come in and check vitals and like this beeping machine. And I sat there and I was like, I could die tomorrow. What if this had been my last week alive? Right. Cause like, you know, like I'm 33 right now. Like, you know, when you're younger, you don't think about dying as much. And again, from stoicism, I had thought about memento mori, like, you know, remember right. you will die using your mortality as a motivator to live fully, all that other shit. My whole right sleeve is dedicated to memento mori, right? I, I thought I understood it. But in that moment, I was like, fuck, man, this could have already been my last week alive. 
So it's like, am I satisfied with how I spent what could have been my last seven days? And that week, my answer was yes. I was like, I, I trained, I spent time with loved ones. You know, I, I was starting coaching and writing. I was like, I'm sad. Like, I don't want to go out, but if I do, I'm satisfied with, with what may have been my last week. Obviously I survived. Um, but for me, that is a much more effective thought experiment than saying, well, what if you had 30 days to live? What if you had a week to live? Because if you can, if you know what's going to happen, you can go out with a bang. Like you can go skydiving, you can blow all your money, you can go to fucking Vegas, whatever. That to me isn't nearly as helpful versus saying, what if you've already done it? You can't go back, you can't change, you can only look in retrospect. Are you satisfied? And and I use that with a lot of my clients. I've kind of written about it before. And for me, it's just it's it puts everything into perspective because you immediately see, you, you can immediately pinpoint all the bullshit that you've let into your life you've led into your schedule, the things that you didn't have to do, but you allowed into your life. Cause you know, we all have obligations and responsibilities, but there are some things that you don't have to do yeah. that you are continuing to allow in. Yeah. You immediately see all the things that you wish you would have done differently. Well, cool. Assuming this isn't your last week alive, fucking do that now. Right? Like, and so for me, like every week, like that is, so I don't necessarily like journal it out, but that is like a check-in I do. Of yeah. like, hey, motherfucker, did you call all the people you, you care about? Did you do work that mattered? Like, and like, that is, you know, I talk about intentional life design. Like, that is the thing for me, man, is, <clears throat> you know, we all die. That's just, that's inevitable. We don't know when, we don't know how necessarily, but that is like an, an undeniable truth. The issue is most people pretend like it won't happen or they, they, they avoid thinking about it. And then they live like they're going to be fucking immortal. And so then they let all this bullshit into their lives. They, they chase the wrong things. They let fear stop them. They let, oh, well, what will critics say? What will my friends and family think? Well, what if I fail? What if this? Fuck it. You're going to die one day. What do you want to be able to lay on your deathbed and look back on and be proud you fucking did mm -hmm. and be satisfied that you built a life that is worth living. You built a legacy that matters, right? Like what the fuck did you do that was worth doing that you would do again? Right. Because like there's this, and if, if any, if, you know, you have looked at anything with my website, you've probably seen like the, the Cornell study statistic I throw out of like, you know, there's Cornell, they found that 76% of people die with the exact same regret. Like they lay, they, they lie on their deathbeds regretting the fact that they lived a mediocrity. They die regretting not having lived a more meaningful life, specifically because they let shit like fear or they chase the wrong things because they are like, well, this is what I thought I was supposed to want because this is what my, my family told me is, is good or this is what society told me I'm supposed to want. I'm supposed to want fancy cars and this kind of salary or this kind of house. But I didn't actually want to do that. I wanted to do this thing over here but I spent 40 years of my working life going this other direction, right? Because again, like that whole save, slave, retire mindset of, you, you know, you graduate high school, you become an adult, you pick a job you fucking hate, you enjoy, you try to enjoy the evenings and weekends, and then you're really just trying to get to 65 so you can retire. Well, if the average life expectancy is like 80 years, you're going to give up like 45 fucking years of your life to maybe enjoy the last 15. 
Yeah. That assumes you and the people you care about are fucking there with you. A lot of them won't be. I, I would much rather, man, and that's part of my mission is to help as many people as I can, like avoid joining that 76%, right? Is like, you can do work that matters right the fuck now. But fear, you know, limiting beliefs, self-sabotaging behaviors, and all this other bullshit is getting in your way. How can we help you overcome it so that you can do work that matters so that you can, you know, build a fulfilling life. And I know fulfilling is like a loaded word, like self-actualization and shit. Cause you know, all the fake gurus have fucked it up, right? Insert whatever the fuck term you want to put for fulfillment, right? That is what I ultimately want to help people do. So everything, whether it is, you know, tweeting, writing podcasts, you know, with awesome people like you, like the course, whatever the fuck it is, that is everything that I do professionally is geared toward helping other people be more intentional with how they live, work and create. So they can do fulfilling shit, build a fulfilling business, build a fulfilling life, whatever the fuck, just so you can get the most out of the life that you get. That is why I do what I do. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I have nothing to add to that. Uh, I think I think that's beautiful. I think, um, yeah, I mean, from my vantage point, it seems like you're definitely embodying that and being about that, you know, every single day. Um, and I think that's why um, your journey so far has, be, has, has been successful. And, um, you know, I wish for more success for you and all the people that you're going to serve and help. And so thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to me about this amazing stuff. Oh, dude, no problem. Like, and I'm, I'm down to come on again. Um, in the future, if you want me to, I do. Um, and I'm especially down, like, if you want to like, try to like get questions from the audience or just come up with other shit, like I'm down to, to help as much as I can as well. Sweet. Um, wow. Yeah. So I do. Um, I guess I can talk to you this after the, I'll ask you this question once we stop recording, but, (laughs) um, anyways, yeah. Anything, any last minute comments, questions, concerns, funny stories, anecdotes that you want to share? Uh, not for right now for today. That'll have to be for round two, I guess. Okay. Amazing. (laughs) Well, this was episode 95 of Jackson talks everybody. Corey, thank you so much. And thank you for everyone who tuned in, whether you watched, you listened, subscribe to the YouTube channel, you know, rate, Cheers and uh, much love.